Let's go before our king. God, we enter into your throne room. Glad that we could do that with grateful hearts, knowing that when we ask boldly, you don't just hear our prayers, you act on them. God, your plans for us are for good, and we trust that to be true. Lord, for the sick and the hurting, unable to make it here this morning, I trust that you will provide for them a way to worship you in spirit and in truth, wherever they're at. Remind them that church is not a building. Lord, your word says that where two or three are gathered, that you are in their midst. God, there are many here this morning, here for you, to worship you, to praise you. Make your presence known. Make your presence so tangible that the soul that comes through these doors that doesn't know you can't deny your reality and your goodness. God, use me this morning. Use me to speak your word and your truth. God, open the floodgates of heaven and pour out your presence here. But God, I must say that for me to ask you to be present would be an insult because you have made it so clear that you already are. And God, continue to reveal yourself. For the soul that's hurting, that knows you, help them to taste and see of your goodness in a fresh way. Refresh their soul. Help them walk out of here motivated to share of the good news. Lord, speak to us all today. Lord, we, we collectively say that we love you. We love you so much. We are so grateful for who you are, for the work that you have done on the cross. God, you didn't come just to die, but to rise again three days later, proving that through faith, we too can have eternal life. Help someone to grasp a hold of that truth for the first time. God, we love you. We absolutely adore you. Allow me to become less this morning so that you can become more. It's in your son, Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Thank you, Katie. Good morning, Hope Church. So glad you are with us this morning. Um, we, as you know, are, are going through our study of 1 Peter. Glad that you have been with us for most of this series. I have been truly enjoying my studies and prepping this. Uh, God has been revealing himself to me in, in a fresh way. And, um, you know, as, as we continue to go through this, uh, I want us to, to do a, a brief recap on the context of, of this letter. Okay, Peter, he's, he's writing to the persecuted church. People that are fleeing abuse from their nation's government, and they're quite literally on the run strictly because of their faith in Jesus Christ. This particular group of people, are they're dispersed amongst what's called Asia Minor, 
but more specifically the nations of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and, and Bithynia. You could look at 1 Peter 1.1 to, to get that. Now the current emperor that they're fleeing is Nero. Many have heard of that name before. And this man is running rampant. This persecution that they were seeing was in the form of censorship, manipulation, horrific torture, and even death. And Peter wrote this letter when this stuff was ramping up. In fact, not too long after the writing of, this, of these letters, both First and Second Peter, Peter himself was killed for his faith. You know, it's no wonder that this group of people were on the run. They wanted to be able to have fellowship, to deepen their faith and their relationship with Christ, and, and even share the good news of the gospel. And they were going to do this whether or not the government was looking over their shoulder. And if they had freedom to do this when they were in a nation that was not their own, they were willing to run from all that they found comfort in to do so. Why? Because they valued freedom in the gospel above comfort in anything else. Peter affirmed their decision in running, in fleeing. And he actually wanted to fan into flame their desire to spread their faith despite their hurtful and deadly circumstances. Their perseverance of the faith was not an option. It was an expectation. He's reminding them by essentially saying, yes, you are in the middle of persecution. Yes, your life is on the line every second that you are, you are alive. And yes, persecution is going to continue to come. But no matter what is happening around you, you have the Holy Spirit within you. And this Spirit is the same Spirit that rose Christ from the dead. And if that's the case, there is nothing that you should fear. Suffer well, Peter is saying. Suffer well. That's our, that's our title for this morning. Suffering well. And if you're following along, please join me in the text. We're going to be in 1 Peter 3. I'm going to do uh, verses 8 through 12 this morning. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. My original intent was to get the rest of this chapter done this morning, but because of how rich in content these few verses are, we're going to, we're going to camp here for a few weeks. So our text is going to be 1 Peter 3, 8 through 12. <clears throat> I'll start by reading verse 8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Point number one is this. God commands unity despite opposition. God commands unity despite opposition. Are y'all with me this morning? Come on, someone give me an amen. I know it's cold. You got to wake up. God commands unity despite what? 
Okay. Lack of comfort, Peter is saying, does not provide an excuse for a lack of faith. Write that down. Lack of comfort does not provide an excuse for a lack of faith. Lack of safety does not provide an excuse for lack of obedience. Okay, lack of safety does not provide an excuse for lack of obedience. Lack of fellowship does not provide an excuse for a lack of allegiance to Christ. In other words, this is not a time for debate. This is not a time to argue with one another within the church. This is not a time to be focusing on all of the things that are going wrong. This is a time to shine the light of Jesus in a world that is so dark. Yes, the world is going crazy. The emperor has set people out to find you and to hunt you down, Peter writes, and to imprison you and even kill you. But this does not take away from our call to share the gospel. In fact, it should provide a motivation. And what's interesting about shining a light in darkness is that you really don't have to shine very bright. A single candle can light up a room that is pitch black. A single light bulb can light up an entire room if the lights are out. Why do I say this? Because I believe that the church is putting so much effort in trying to win people over that they're doing little more than competing for other Christians to go to their church or to attend where they are at because it's better. But what they are just trying to do is provide better events, better outreach, better things, not realizing that Christ doesn't call the church to compete with one another, but to complete a mission. And this mission isn't about a strategy, it's about the gospel. This has become so lost in our culture and in our world. He's looking at the persecuted church and the way that they're living and the way that they're trying to relate to the culture. Remember, we just went through this last week. And he's giving them a course correction. He's saying, stop trying to blend in. Stop trying to be like the world because in doing so, you are dividing yourself. Instead, you are to have one mind. You see, unity of mind. Have sympathy for one another. Love each other. Be tender and patient. Remain humble. In other words, be a Christian. Man, let me tell you, if there's one thing that the church needs today, it's more Christians. You don't go looking for a concert or a performance or you don't look for the biggest and best events, but start looking to where the Spirit of the Lord is because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Peter shares here his burden as to what the followers of Christ in persecution must do, how they must act, and what decisions that they must make in, in order to glorify Christ in the midst of their suffering. This isn't an exhaustive list of boxes that are to be checked. But really, it's rather simple. In a nutshell, it's this. Unity of mind. Sympathy. Brotherly love. A tender mind. And humility. Unity. 
is so important to Jesus. Now, what we must take note of is that unity is not uniformity. Okay, unity comes through diversity at the foot of the cross. Unity is not uniformity. It comes through diversity at the foot of the cross. But on that note, there are things that we can't disagree on. And this is quickly becoming more and more of an issue each and every day. The church blending in with the world is a side effect, really, of disunity among believers. We become so focused on these minor doctrinal issues, and because of these disagreements, we have denominational splits. And once we have denominational splits, the world then looks in and sees division. And why would anyone seeking to know Jesus want to to run to a place where they can't even agree with one another? Unity of mind is so important. Unity of mind comes not from the color of your skin, not from your past experiences, but by understanding the true gospel, the authority of Scripture, and the perfection of Jesus Christ and the work that he's done. When we begin to get a single one of these areas off, we're not only divided, but we have little impact for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, that is exactly what the enemy wants. You know what's the result of a divided mind? A fallen church. David wrote in Psalm 133, verse 1, How good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. Paul wrote later on in 1 Corinthians 1.10, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, uh, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. And finally, Jesus Himself said in Matthew 12, verse 25, knowing their thoughts, He said to them, "Every kingdom, listen to this, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no." city or house divided against itself will stand. Unity of mind is so important. And it's so important to Jesus. And if it's important to Jesus, it should be important to us too as people of God. And when you see the church become more and more divided on issues that are deemed absolutely essential to the faith, know that you should have nothing to do with those people. What are some issues to look out for? Let me give you a few. Any belief that Jesus is not the only way to salvation. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No matter what the world tells you, there is no other way to heaven except through faith in Jesus Christ. That's one. Another one. Who is allowed in leadership positions throughout the church. I'm not going to go down that road right now. Most importantly, I want to say this. I'm not going to go in depth here. Any church that promotes what the Bible disapproves of. Though at, at one point this was, this was very simple to understand, Scripture has been taught out of context that for so long... That so many are falling into the belief that these false teachings are actually true. This is such a dangerous place to be. 
and talk about these things. Talk about what is deemed essential to the faith. If you have a conversation with someone and they're saying, well, Jesus is a way to heaven, but he's not the way. And if you just listen and passively ignore what they're saying, how are they ever going to know that they're wrong? Many issues can be solved if we were to just not believe these things, but stand up for them. Stand up for what we do believe. You know, what was once trivial is now common. And when it becomes common, it becomes accepted. And when it becomes accepted, it's eventually expected. And when you begin to expect false teachings and downright heresy, know that division is soon to follow. And when division comes, persecution is not far behind. I firmly believe that the enemy's number one tool in any battle is division. Because you can't move too far when you're isolated. Peter says that we must have unity of mind. We must never jeopardize the truth. And we must demonstrate it through what? Sympathy. Brotherly love. A tender heart. And a humble mind. This is how the world will know that we are Christ's disciples. By the way that we love one another. This isn't based on comfort or opposition, but because of the way that God has loved us first. God commands unity despite opposition. Let's look at verse 9. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. Point number two. God gives grace to the guilty and the innocent alike. God gives grace to the guilty and the innocent alike. Peter then goes into how Christians are to respond to this persecution. Don't repay evil for evil. Do not revile those who revile against you. Vile is another way of saying talk about in an abusive manner. Saying don't do that. Don't participate in that. When you are persecuted, do like Jesus and turn the other cheek. In other words, remember Jesus on the cross? That was a model of how and what you are to do when you are persecuted. When, when you are talked down upon and abused because of your faith, Hold fast to what you believe. But Peter doesn't stop there. He continues on and says, don't just hold true, but bless those who persecute you. Because in doing this, you too will be blessed. You can see the similarity between what Peter wrote to, to what Jesus said in Luke 14. If, if anyone who comes to me Sorry, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. 
Peter saying, do you remember what Jesus said that evening? Well, he meant it. And my friend, if he means it for us today, then it's true. We so often believe that because we live in America, that we are God's chosen people. That there is no way in a million years that this persecution would ever happen to us. Let's just send our money overseas to missionaries, throw up a few prayers for the persecuted church, and continue on our merry way. Well, a time is coming, and I would even argue that that time is here where Christians will be persecuted for their faith right here in our own borders. And at first it appears innocent. It, it comes in the form of making our beliefs appear as if they're hate crimes or as if they're offensive. But then you slowly see it happen right outside our front door and again within our own borders or lack thereof. Christians being censored by what they say on social media. The term Christian nationalism slapped on any Christian that votes based on their morals and convictions. It's transgenderism and the ability to choose genders being encouraged in schools while Christian morals continue to be pushed out. If you look at it from that perspective, you begin to see that in just a few years, the Christian morals that our nation was founded on are no less than neglected and trampled on. And the liberal agenda concerning power and this revision of sexuality is right at our fingertips. This once moral nation where just about every business was closed on Sundays and everyone was in church is now slipping rapidly down the road to secularism and post-Christianity. And it's slipping at a pace that seems to be faster and faster and faster as the days go on. So how do we respond? Do we passively address these issues as a church and, and brush it under the rug? By saying, well, they're, they're unbelieving people. How, how else can we expect them to act? You know, by doing this, we're hiding within the safety of the walls of our church and, and shying away from controversy because we're believing the lies of the government and the world. And if we continue to shy away from the issues by hiding within the safety of our churches, it's no longer going to be safe anymore. And if what we have is labeled as a hate crime because of our message that God wants a relationship with us mere sinners, then we should be the worst criminals of all. We're called to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. This doesn't mean that it's going to be accepted with open arms. But it does mean that when it's rejected, that we must never quit. No, we must shake the dust off our feet and keep walking. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Keep walking. And if you think we're not going to get ourselves in trouble for sharing the good news of the gospel, boy, you are following the wrong Jesus. And when this persecution comes, how do we defend ourselves? Well, Peter said it right here. Be blessed. Be blessed those that are persecuted. 
What does that look like? It looks like persistence in the presentation of the gospel, no matter the severity of the abuse. It means not wishing harm upon those that are persecuting, but rather forgiveness. Jesus said it best when he was hanging on the cross. He said these words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So we went through what to do when we are under persecution and answered the question that relates to how we are to do this. Now let's look at why this is how we are to live. Now let's look at, at why this is how we are to live under such circumstances. First Peter 3, verses 10 through 12. Peter is quoting from Psalm 34. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. My third point for this morning, God provides fulfillment despite troubling circumstances. God provides fulfillment despite troubling circumstances. You know, there's going to be seasons of life where everything that you touch, God blesses. Where it appears as if everything that you pray for is provided. And, and, and you're able to be very generous in return because of it. But there's also going to be these seasons of life where it almost, sound, it almost appears as if your prayers aren't being heard. So many in here are familiar with that season of life. I know I am. And you're at the point when you have just given up on the mere thought of receiving a blessing from God. But in the words of Job, naked I come from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. He closes with this, blessed be the name of the Lord. But here's what I want you to hear, folks. This verse continues on, and it says this. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrongdoing. You see, our fulfillment comes not from comfort. It comes not from material items, not from the freedoms that we have as a nation, but by resting knowing that the creator of the universe is still in control, come what may. Persecution or freedom, plenty or in need, freedom or captivity, blessed be the name of the Lord. Peter wants to remind the followers of Christ that no matter the circumstance, there is no excuse to live an ungodly life. This is applicable to not just Christians, but churches that are falling into this trap. They're becoming so focused on this relatability. They're trying to become 
seeker-friendly, that they're going off mission in the process. I don't have to go in-depth this morning for, for you to, to read between the lines of what I'm referring to, but, but Peter is saying that it's, it's not relatability that brings people to Christ, but it's kindness. It's our kindness that leads to repentance. As he writes, whoever desires to love life and see good days should keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. You see, we are too busy trying to satisfy our desires and things that are not of God that we are missing the point that it's these very things that bring peace. Despite the circumstances that the church is going through and regardless of what is to come, we can trust that one thing is true and it's this. God is good. His love endures forever. His purposes of His church are for good and not for evil. And no matter where the road ahead will lead us, we are commanded to give God the glory and God alone. That is where true peace will be found. Let's pray. God, forgive us for the times where we have sought peace in anything but you. God, give us the motivation to, despite what is to come, continue to share the good news of your gospel. God, help us point people to you. Help us point the world to you. Not in a way that, that jeopardizes the truth but rather one that proclaims it. Give us unity of mind as we have just read how important that is to you. Give us a tender heart. Lord, keep us humble. But God, again, I pray for that unity of mind. That though we will have disagreements, let us come together at the feet of your cross, the foot of your cross knowing that that is where we are unified. God, help us to hold true to who you are. And help us to love you more each day. Allow the work of our hands to be done for your glory and your glory alone. Allow us to see what is happening in the world around us so that we can even greater see the work that you're doing. God, give us a godly perspective. Help us to see the world as you do, with a soft heart. And God, we say that we love you. We love you so much. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen.